0: Are you comfortable, Reagan? Yes. How old are you? Twelve. Is there someone inside you? Sometimes. Who is it? I don't know. Is it Captain Howdy? I don't know. If I ask him to tell me, will you let him answer? No. Why not? I'm afraid. If he talks to me, I think he'll leave you. Do you want him to leave you? Yes. I'm speaking to the person inside of Reagan now. You are there, you two are hypnotized.
1: Welcome to this percolated media Halloween special as the Three Men in a Retrospective Podcast review all of the movies in the Exorcist Saga.
0: What an excellent day for an
1: exorcism. Join Garrett. I haven't had a bath for three days. And Matt. Why me? As they bring back horror film scholar Mick Duffy. I wouldn't be concerned about Reason Major. He's a scholar. And they review each film one exorcism at a time, all leading up to a review of the brand new David Gordon Green directed entry to be released this Halloween season.
0: <laughs> it burns!
1: Does the original Exorcist deserve its title of being the scariest movie of all time? I cannot tell you it's forbidden. How will Matt and Mick react to their first time viewings of The Exorcist 2?
0: And I hate it. I can't stand the sight of
1: it. And why are there two versions of the fourth sequel? He will seek to poison your mind. The answer to all these questions and more.
0: Nothing you can do could make it any worse.
1: Coming up, courtesy of Percolated Media.
0: Bazuzu, prince of the evil spirits of the air, take me to Kokumo.
2: The Exorcist. Believer. Released October 6th, 2023. Budget was $30 million, although it was a hell of a lot more. We'll get into it. Box office so far is $133.1 million. And this is directed by Pineapple Express's own David Gordon Green. All right, guys, we have reached the end of the rope, the end of the Exorcist franchise, at least for now. We are finally discussing the Exorcist Believer. Matt, you and I saw it a little over a month ago. Mick saw it yesterday, so it's extremely fresh. I watched it again about, I'd say, about six days ago. It's been on streaming this last week, so it's relatively fresh, and I have a ton of notes. Matt, how's it feel, sir? We are finally at the end of this retrospective. Is this feeling like Transformers to you?
3: I think... No, because I like Exorcist 3 more than any of the Transformers movies, but definitely it's kind of felt as soulless in certain ways when you look at how these movies were were kind of churned out, especially the last two. And that pertains to this movie as well, because in full playing my cards out on the table, I had no desire to see this when it was even announced, let alone when I sat in the movie theater.
2: You saw it in the movies. I saw it in the movies as well. My beautiful fiancé gave me the big hell no when I asked her if she wanted to go with me, so I dragged a guy from work who had not seen any of the movies. In fact, his only exposure to this franchise was our review of the first Exorcist film, which is the podcast that was just released when this movie had come out. So we went, and he went in completely cold. And the first thing he says is, do the exorcisms ever work in these movies? And so, yeah, he could say he finally saw an exorcist film. And we'll discuss what we were thinking. But Mick, sir, you saw this yesterday. Were you the only one in the theater? This has been out a month already. uh,
4: There were five other people in the theater. Wow. Um, Yeah, it was great as well. I got to see how little. (laughs) I think audiences in my country will care about Eli Roth's Thanksgiving. There was nothing but horror trailers before it. And, um, yeah, the trailer for Thanksgiving this met with kind of just deafening indifference, as was the trailer for something <laughs> called Night Swim. Yeah,
2: That movie looks bizarre, man. Yeah, I saw that trailer too.
4: Yeah, so oh, it was kind of... Um, I think this might have been preparing the audience for, like, things they're not going to be scared by. There's, there's no point releasing Thanksgiving in countries that aren't America, because no one understands it. No one's thinking... Oh no! The girl's being stabbed in the ear with little corn cob holders. No one's thinking that. They're just going, "What is this?" <laughs> it's, 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 people, people overseas knew what Thanksgiving is, but they don't care about any of the sort of cultural cultural ephemera surrounding it. But yeah, no, I think I think this is good preparation for the audiences to be equally bored and baffled by the uh, the film that follows. You
2: guys just laying everything on the table already. Yeah. I want to keep mine close to the chest for now, but Mick, you know, you and I, we've discussed many horror films together. Yeah. Um, we never really discussed your wife, though. Did she go with you to this? Is she into the horror as well? <coughs> not, not since we became parents. usually, okay. uh, Certainly in the last year or so,
4: the cinemas have stopped being matinees. Cinemas now here only seem to really be showing stuff. After schools are open. Uh, after schools have closed, even so, it's kind of no longer possible to sneak out in the middle of the day and see a movie. So, yeah, uh, we're usually going to see stuff by ourselves, you know, unless it's a turtles movie and we can take the child.
2: There you go.
4: So, but um, she had no interest in seeing this. Um, her uh, complete lack of interest in this movie
2: was a um, was quite something. And Matt, I'm assuming you went by yourself as well.
3: Yeah, I married a scaredy cat. He okay. just has better taste than I do. <laughs>
2: And how was your theater, sir? You went opening weekend, right?
3: Yes, I did, and I could have performed my own exorcism, and nobody would have complained because I was the only soul in that theater.
2: Holy mackerel! You went opening weekend, and you were the only person. Yes, but I went to a
3: ten thirty in the morning showing. I don't know what happened. Now that I had kids, I hit seven o'clock. I I can barely make it through a movie theater. I mean, part of that is just movies are (laughs) too damn long nowadays. Yeah, says the guy who watched Killers of the Flower Moon and reviewed that. But but yeah, this was. I was surprised, because this did come out in October, and people have a propensity to go see whatever horror movie is out there. I mean, it could be Smile, it could be Sinister, it could be this. It always seems like horror does well, but I I think the thing is, and is this Universal? Yeah. I think Universal's
2: learned learned the hard
3: way that The Exorcist is not a brand that by itself is going to drag people to a movie theater. It's not Halloween not Friday the 13th, still living off the reputation of one movie from 50 years ago, and a sequel that has a real cult-like following, but is not exactly something that's in the pop culture lexicon. So, I think it's stupid that they paid the amount of money that they did to get the rights for this. Yeah,
2: as we mentioned last week, they paid upwards of $400 million for this IP.
3: Well, I was looking at it, I thought, oh, well,
4: I thought, oh, great, so, it, like, they own The Exorcist now and forever. Yes, that's clearly the deal, but that isn't the deal. It's just for the distribution rights to this film and the two sequels they're planning. That's it? So, only
2: for three films?
4: Yeah, I thought, oh, right, they must have bought The Exorcist at Lost Stock and Barrel, so, well, clearly at some point they'll do something like they'll do a TV miniseries remake or something, or they'll, you know, they'll have other ways they can monetize this. Maybe they're not taking a complete bath, but, yeah, no, it seems to be 400 million just for. <laughs> The distribution rights to this film and the two sequels. That
2: seems like a bad investment. <laughs> that, that, that's insane. I, unbelievable. Yeah. This. Was this, now, this was fresh off of Halloween, right? Now, Halloween was a successful purchase by them. Yes. And so they were probably riding those coattails, and they were thinking, you know what? If we get all of these up and maybe get it at Nightmare on Elm Street as well, like we can do kind of what Michael Bay's Platinum Dunes did, what, 10, 15 years ago, and just buy all these up and see what we can do with them, right?
3: Yeah, The difference is, looking at this compared to the Halloween series that just ended, I get the sense Jason Blum was a lot more involved in the production of those Halloween movies than he was with this. This seemed like one of those things to where they acquired the rights and he just kind of let David Gordon Green do it. But I also don't even know how inspired David Gordon Green was to direct this, or if they just bought the rights and gave it to him because the Halloween movies were... Successful. I mean, the first one especially made a lot of money. You could point to COVID kind of hurting the last two if you want to make that rationale.
2: Well, I read a few interviews with David Gordon Green, including one in Fangoria magazine when I was in Barnes and Noble about a week and a half ago. And, you know, according to him, he was really keen on making this. He really wanted to direct it, he thought it was exciting that. We can he can take an existing franchise and kind of put his own twist on it. What was weird about that interview? I'm not sure how to take that interview because according to him, Ellen Burstyn he had a conversation with her, and it didn't take too much for him to convince her to come on board. And according to all other reports, that did not happen. She was against doing this movie until they They dangled the carrot. Basically,
3: gave her the money to fund a scholarship.
2: Yeah, which kudos to her. By the way, she didn't, she's not taking just a paycheck here. And Matt, you mentioned this when we started this way over a month ago. The woman's in her eighties at this point. So uh, what does she have to gain other than doing this for something that she believes in? And we should mention this right now. This isn't Jamie Lee Curtis coming back to Halloween. This is. A mother from that first movie who has been through hell, and we'll talk about how they write her in this, but even with her existing in this movie, I wasn't too keen on seeing this.
3: She's really technically not the main character of the first Exorcist movie either. I would argue no. the first one, as we talked about, doesn't really have a... You could argue between two or three. Whereas Lori Strode, she's the clear protagonist, and it's amazing they brought her back multiple times and people still cared. Whereas here... I feel like this was done to try to sell the movie to a certain niche audience and just, it feels like a checkbox with these frickin' legacy movies that we keep getting where no matter how big or how small, whether it's getting Harrison Ford back for Indiana Jones or whether it's getting Ellen Burstyn back for this, you need some linchpin character from the previous continuity to kind of provide legitimacy.
2: Yeah.
4: It's like the uh, principle of apostolic succession, you know,
2: (laughs) but worse. But worse. (laughs) All right. Well, we've discussed the making of this a lot throughout the course of this retrospective. I want to encourage people to go back and listen to those. I think this has been a very good retrospective that we've done. We've really run the gamut, right? And that was my feeling when I sat down in that theater to watch this movie is I'm not looking for something to— Reinvent this franchise and me like it as much as the first movie. I'm looking just to be entertained, to be scared, to come in and actually see an Exorcist movie, unlike those two terrible prequels. And actually, well, according to me and Matt, (laughs) Mickey liked the last one, but just to kind of come in and just enjoy what I was seeing and not think about all the internet backlash and let's put this on the table right now you know when this is coming out it was looked at as a flop it was coming out against taylor swift you know it was coming out against that juggernaut and everything else but it has made over 130 million dollars so is it looked at as a success um i don't
4: think so i mean just okay the film itself its production costs are, are fairly modest as these things go like 30 million and it's it's done okay but the fact that it's sort of attached to this huge huge 400 million dollar debt you know that that's an anchor it's never going to be able to overcome right this will be discussed in business school in the future yeah when they talk about this (laughs) this age of studio filmmaking and that was profligate but in stupid ways it's not a 20th century fox speaking cleopatra and well at least it looks epic this is them spending money on things you can't see on
3: the screen you know Yeah, this was something that in practicality seemed like they were already putting themselves into a hole. And I gotta say, one of the other hurdles this movie has had to overcome is that in the 50 years since The Exorcist, much like slasher films, we've had a plethora of exorcism movies. Nothing as good as the original, and we literally just had one this year with Russell Crowe (laughs) Nobody yeah, wants uh-huh. to go see that, and also you pigeonhole. There's always so many things you can do with this subgenre. Slasher movies have at least shown they can be kind of malleable as far as twisting some things and doing some different conventions. I mean, look at like Scream, but I don't know if you could do a meta Exorcist movie. That'd be uh, <laughs> that'd be pretty impressive if someone tried that.
2: Now, when you put one of these legacy sequels together, obviously the original creators are going to speak up about it. William Peter Blatty, he's been dead for about six years at this point, six, seven years. But now according to legend, William Friedkin had a quote where he had heard that David Gordon Green was doing this and he says something to the degree and this was tweeted so take this with a grain of salt that he was going to come back and haunt david gordon green himself possess him himself something to the, the that nature i take that as matt you and i discuss with adam the jack nicholson story about how he tried to warn heath ledger before he became joker doing it because the joker takes over you i I, I kind of feel like it's a hollywood legend i don't know if that really happened and it feels like some internet reporter trying to just gain a little bit of steam
3: i don't know because william Friedkin was not afraid to speak his mind ever no he wasn't so (laughs) i i think there is some legitimacy to that maybe the context is a little bit different but he's always been very protective of that first movie not that he ever had to apologize for it or anything like that but he's talked shit about basically everything they've done since, with the exception of the third one, because him and Blatty were pretty close, despite the fact that they, they were kind of the Siskel and Eber, a writer and director. They or were. It's like, <laughs> yes. it's like they tolerated each other, but I don't think they liked each other.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think they had respect for each other, for sure. Mick, how much credence do you give to that interview? Do you think that actually happened? I don't know. The, the only thing that gives me pause
4: about the story is that, well, that makes me think it might be 100% true, is that there's new dedication to William Friedkin in the end credits of this movie. Yeah, that's weird, right?
2: I was looking for that, too.
4: Because uh, normally, you know, even if the uh, original creators didn't particularly approve, you'd you'd still stick in a dedication, right? And there yeah. isn't one. So I'm, I'm wondering if he did say something. I mean, he was a... Um, a Freaking, especially in his latter years, was not one to sort of uh, um, sugarcoat his feelings about things. So, um, so uh, you know what? I think we're going to have to go the uh, Man Who shot Liberty balance route with this. And... You know, if you recall the quote from the end of that movie, if the historical truth's less interesting than the legend, just print the legend, so,
3: yeah. Yeah, when, when the legend becomes <laughs> fact,
2: print the legend. That's the quote, yeah. yeah.
4: I need to watch that movie again.
2: <laughs> and, you know, the Blatty estate has been outspoken too. Michael Blatty, his son, he was in a podcast interview. He called this movie a vulgar and pointless retread of the original film that also paints a cliched light on religion. So this movie has not gotten a lot of praise from the people who actually created it, at least their estates. Another thing that was going against it. Mick, do you think David Gordon Green cares about any of that? Did he, do you think he reads something like that, whether it's true or not, and he kind of takes that to heart? He kind of, to me, while doing those Halloween movies, it was kind of important to him to get Carpenter's blessing on those. I, I, he feels like somebody who kind of thrives on that. Would you agree with that? I, I don't know. Um, here's the weird thing. I've never met David Gordon Green but I've had
4: two weird professional intersectings with him. When I worked in film sales for the British Film Institute, the week I started, they had just acquired his debut film, George Washington.
2: Oh, wow. So
4: I used to have to send David Gordon Green his royalty statements, and um, he never had any questions, so he never really emailed back. He seemed to be completely fine with that, but you'll recall around 2009, he made a... A, a very misguided sort of stoner sword and sorcery comedy called Your Highness.
0: Oh, yeah. God. And,
4: um, that was shot, that was shot here, that was shot in the uh, Titanic studios in Belfast and in and around Northern Ireland. And, um, when that was in production, well, rather when it was gearing up for production, I got a really, really panicked phone call from someone I know who works in film here, who was in charge of the art department on it. And they reported that they were just getting yelled at for not having this list of films they were all supposed to have watched and reference copies of to inform the look of the film. So I got this list uh, and this this, this person I know was asking me rather urgently. um, It was like, Mick, do you have a DVD of Hawk the Slayer? Also, do you have Deathstalker 2? And it is basically this list of terrible, kind of um, low-budget, early 80s sword and sorcery films. And um, worryingly, I had all of them. (laughs) So I was like... Because they, they were getting yelled at by these American producers. Like, why don't you have these films? Why can't you get them? And I, um, you know, I, I, this person now me a kidney or something. But basically, I uh, I had two computers running at the same time to rip these discs in time and get them over to that office before the end of the business day. So I, I remember that. I remember thinking, oh, that that's kind of weird. Y- yeah, I, I, I never ran into him, but I've heard like stories from people who worked on that shoot. And I hear he likes napping. <laughs> I, don't think I don't think that's litigious. I've heard he likes napping. That's, that's what I can say. Um,
2: so, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so let, let me get this straight. So, he'll call action, and then they'll catch him just sleeping in the corner? <laughs> or how that work? <laughs>
4: um, i would heard the, um, someone else I know had kind of interviewed for a job on that shoot as his assistant. And the big question was, like, okay, and how will you handle my naps? So, um, I, I don't know. Um, I can say one thing though. I mean, Your Highness is a terrible film, mm-hmm. but um, you know the way even a bad film can have strange ripple effects. People don't maybe don't know about. But this was shooting in two thousand and nine, and when it finished shooting, uh, Northern Ireland Screen—that's the kind of that's the regional uh, filmmaking body here that provide tax breaks and so forth—they made sure that the sets for it were standing, so that when they made their pitch to HBO for Game of Thrones. Part of the inducement was we still have the Your Highness sets standing here and you can have them. So Winterfell in Game of Thrones, you know all those interior castle sets, they're all repurposed. Like they're used, from Your Highness. Yeah, they're using the same location style as well. Like if you watch Your Highness, but please don't but if you have to and if you then go immediately watch the first season of Game of Thrones, which is funnier, where you'll find more laughs, <laughs>, <laughs> Yeah, you'll notice a lot of these things look eerily similar.
2: That is crazy. I had no idea about that. Yeah, yeah.
4: Game of Thrones kind of hermit-crabbed their way into, you know, um, (laughs) uh, the things (laughs) David Gordon Green had left behind. So, uh, um, you know, and that show employed a lot of people for, like, seven years. So, uh, you know, uh,
2: yeah. Wow. What an incredible story. Yes. Has there ever been a director who has... Done comedies as as Mick calls them, stoner comedies or whatever, and gone into the horror genre. Matt, I can't think of any. Well, is, is, has has there been a precedent yeah, well, with this?
3: Well, he didn't direct theatrical movies, but Jordan Peele. Oh yeah. If you do it in reverse, Bob Clark. Yeah.
2: Oh yeah. Good call.
3: Like Jordan Peel's the only example I can think of. I don't wow. think he directed a whole lot of stuff. He was just known as uh, comedic television. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd have to think. Oh, well. Depends, where do you stand on Sam Rainey's horror? <laughs> some of those are borderline comedies. Well, he did a horrible movie
2: I was sent to review called The Sitter. The, oh, God. Like, the worst Jonah Hill comedy of all time, and he's done some bad ones. I
3: mean, there's guys like, his like,
2: comedy sensibilities just... I mean,
3: there's people who've mm. done comedies but have transitioned into horror, like, as one-offs, like John Landis. Um, yeah. yeah. But, but there's... I mean, the, the worst one is Kevin Smith, if you want to be honest.
2: Mick, was it you who said last week that David Gordon Green has now made more horror films than John Landis? Yes! Oh, that is such a depressing story.
3: Yeah, well, he's killed less people.
2: All right, boys, what do you say we get into this movie that we've been building up for six straight weeks now? Yep. We open up with a set of logos, which I know Matt loves, including the Morgan Creek logo and the Bloomhouse logo before we cut to some dogs barking and someone taking pictures in Haiti. Now this guy's Leslie Odom Jr. and he was in Hamilton, right? Yeah, Matt? that's
3: what he's most famous for.
2: Okay. We cut to a pregnant woman walking around Haiti and a kid approaching her saying that he has a blessing for her baby. She goes along with it, and we see it happen. Now Gordon Green is opening this up in Haiti. Is he trying to evoke images of that first film? Matt,
3: I don't know what he's going for, but it's pretty shameless. Whenever I see this in movies where we have to take real life circumstances and make that the source of people's trauma, it kind of feels exploitative. In the same way that there was that Robert Pattinson movie where it was revealed he was in the oh. World Trade Center. Yeah, oh, that's what I was thinking of. Movie. Remember me? Is it called? I think that's yes. It. And it yeah. was set up as yeah. a plot twist. They wrote the date on the chalkboard and then the camera pans back mm. and looking out the window and I'm like, Oh no. This it yeah. wasn't that bad, but this earthquake killed upwards of hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. And this is the context for this movie that is ultimately about punishing the main lead because <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go off of this movie felt like such right wing bullshit. Oh yeah. I'm playing my cards right now. I fucking hated this movie. It was infuriating. And it started right from this opening. It's worse. Right from
2: the opening.
4: And this as well, because if you remember right after the earthquake in Haiti, <laughs> you remember after that earthquake in 2010? You might recall the, uh, what Pat Robertson said.
3: Yeah. Um, What's that? I'll not repeat that on well, the air. But... No, okay. no, but he, uh,
4: he basically pinned the blame of this on the people Haiti themselves for having made some kind of satanic oh. pact. And it was oh just my God. horrible slander on an entire nation. And
2: this film kind of feels like it's deliberately evoking that as well. Wow. So... This woman tells her husband about the beautiful blessing of protection that she just received as they sit at a church. And then the man says that he's going to get a good shot of the church from up top as she goes and lays down. The place rumbles, and we see that they are in a massive earthquake, as we mentioned. It tears down buildings, and he walks in one to save his wife, who has fallen. He reaches for her, and all she can say is, protect her.
3: That's bad. And, and the movie also starts right away with a shitty jump scare with the dogs. Yeah, with the dogs barking. Mm-hmm. Because I've watched episodes of the O'Reilly Factor that are scarier than this movie.
2: So he's updated with talk that his wife has received devastating injuries, and they can only protect one thing—either the baby or her. Mick, are you as angry at this as Matt is?
4: Yeah, it's it's, it's ridiculous. Also, just how pregnant his wife is. I mean, she's not yeah, a little she bit traveling? pregnant. She's kind of like, yeah. What are you doing on vacation? You know, the questions people shouldn't be asking you are like, oh, do you want a blessing for your baby? They should be like, how far apart are the contractions? Cause that's how pregnant she looks. She's just, you know, um, hugely, massively pregnant. Just, uh, it, mm. it's it's so absurd. Yeah, no, this is just infuriating. Also, they don't specify the nature of his wife's injuries. I I, I just want to know how this is working. Yeah. what went with fucking George Lucas
3: logic of she's lost the will to
4: live. Yes, yes. Because <laughs> it's, it's like, they don't even mention like, you know, if it was something like sepsis or, or something, something, it, it should tell me. Yeah, when you hear average,
3: but, like, it's gotta be something.
4: Yes, but just, it, it's just being told in such a blunt way as well as if they couldn't be bothered researching some medical scenario. And, mm. you know the way the, the original film actually takes itself very seriously and actually takes its medical procedures very seriously and that makes it feel more grounded? Yes. Yes, but mm-hmm. this it is like. It's George Lucas, sort of, you know, uh, George Lucas school of obstetrics.
2: We cut to 13 years later as a little girl named Angela. Get it, guys? Angela, Angel. <laughs>
4: oh, it's very subtle. Pe- <laughs> yeah. People might not have thought of that,
3: yeah. I'm going I'm to be sounding like Pazuzu at the end of this podcast with all the I'm doing.
2: <laughs> is looking through pictures. She's called down to breakfast with pancakes that look freaking delicious, by the way. Got great food porn here.
4: It's, a, it's, it's very much a movie breakfast. Yes. It is. Yeah, this is the
3: Pee Wees Big Adventure.
4: <laughs> yeah, completely. It's like, this isn't how breakfast works with kids. It's like, you know. There's some cereal there or
3: do you want it? You know, no one, yeah, I just... It's, yeah, it's, nobody, it's, nobody leaves out a bowl of cereal anymore. If you're going to have cereal, you take it out yourself. So what do you guys think about Green
2: taking the same route as Freak in here in that he is showing their home life before everything kind of goes haywire?
3: It's, it's, what's, it's what's expected with these damn legacy sequels where at the end of the day you have to deliver more of the same but act like you're doing something different. Sometimes it works better than others. We'll we'll talk about one, probably the one that kicked this off with Force Awakens next year, but these actors are good. I will say that. I like that she's not the overly resentful daughter like you easily could have written her to be, and he's not that overly distant father that you just want to punch and say be there for her this dynamic did not piss me off but i'd be lying to you if i said this felt original
2: i agree with you i think the actors in this for the most part are pretty good including these two i think this guy from hamilton is excellent and this girl with given what she has to go through i think she's really good as well
4: yeah no i, I don't have a problem with the with these actors I, i'd really like to see odom in a, a good film i, yeah. I think if he was in a good film uh, he might be astounding uh, i thought he was very good here working with this terrible material and it's interesting that he's an actor from the stage i'm guessing if that's what he's best known for does that make him sort of analogous to sort of um jason miller in the first film oh
2: my god it kind of does right because we even see him box later
4: yep. yeah yeah so maybe that's what he's going for maybe i'll get this actor who's of an extremely high standard but whom audiences haven't seen before on screen Nothing major. He
3: he did a lot of TV work. Like he he had a role on CSI Miami, but almost all of his stuff is on the stage. And before this, the only other movie I had seen him in was well, actually a couple. He was in the Sopranos movie and the Knives Out sequel. So he's getting more work, which is good. And thankfully, he doesn't embarrass himself like Linda Blair did in the second movie.
2: So we get a game of hide and seek and. Victor finds the purple scarf that Angela found while going through her mom's stuff as the neighbor ostracizes Victor for not having the garbage cans out.
3: At least this didn't go where I thought it was going to go, where like she would be thrown into the garbage can. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. That's the only thing this movie is above. And the one thing that David Gordon Green does not do that I don't like that he's done in his horror movies is have these random side characters that are too eccentric and talk about dumb shit like the sandwich mm-hmm. people in the first Halloween movie he did, where I'm like, I just want somebody to hit that car and kill them both. That's kept to a minimum here. Yeah.
2: i, I got to say, um, I, I'm, I'm casting's really interesting, but we'll talk about that later. <sighs> yeah, We cut to the other girl in this movie, Catherine, her home life, as her brothers embarrass her, and Victor parks in the bus lane to let out Angela, and this is just chaos at this school. <laughs> Victor says that Angela's mom's stuff is precious as he tells her that she can hang out with Catherine as long as she's home by dinner. We cut to Angela in class. She's caught blabbing as Victor practices his boxing, again, much like Jason Miller in the first Exorcist, right? Yeah, here. and
3: I burst out laughing when she's in the classroom because I half expected her to look outside and see Michael Myers.
2: You know what? I got flashes to that too. <laughs> the girls are walking out of class on onto a bus where they're led out by some woods. They run inside the woods and come across a cave of some sort. Meanwhile, Victor is taking family pictures with a kid who doesn't want to smile as chaos with jackhammers goes on outside. So he's this photographer. Now, these pictures do come out weird, right? Are we supposed to believe that this evil is already there? I don't know. I mean, he could just be a terrible
4: photographer. <laughs> and it's, it's a small town. There's no one else to go to. So, you know, he, he just gets everyone's business. Yeah, that didn't, it didn't make any sense. Also, yeah. You know, um also he was very blasé. When he thought the, the mm-hmm. image was all wavy, he just closed his laptop rather than, you know, immediately panicking as I do any time the display on an Apple
2: device seems to have gone wonky.
3: This job still exists. I,
2: mean, I know, right?
3: <laughs> like, might as well have a working <laughs> at a freaking CVS.
2: Well, I'm going to hire a photographer in the next year, so I don't know. I, I, I think it, it does exist, but this movie—I'll say this about this movie—it has a real odd pacing to it.
3: Yeah, but. I have that same complaint about his Halloween movies. I don't think he knows how to to pace a horror movie. He's good at individual scenes. Like, he can think of escalation within the confines of a set piece. But this is also a movie that is considerably longer than it should be. Oh, God, yeah. Um, And I'm glad you mentioned Catherine, because she's barely a character. This felt like the most gimmicky thing in the movie. How are you going to do an exorcist movie that's different? All right, hear me out. What if this time there's two girls that get possessed? And someone said that's brilliant. Because this other character gets nothing to do, and she's only here because she has a strong resemblance to Linda Blair. Especially when they put the makeup and prosthetics on her later on. And this felt like they were going to do commentary on the modern-day evangelical household because her parents are the traditional southern Mm -hmm. Christians. One of them is played by a country singer, which I didn't know. Wow. And she was actually one of the better actors in the movie, which I don't know if that's really saying much. But it felt like they were going to do that aspect to explore her, like, you know, what's scarier, like, demons or how certain upbringings can be just as torturous. But no, it's just window dressing. And this other girl is only here to look like Linda Blair and to say lines that Linda Blair also said previously. Yes. Uh,
4: the Catherine's family are, um, oh, boy. They're so much less interesting dramatically. And also, it's kind of sort of clunkily, clunkily, I think, I, um, telegraphed from the get-go that, I don't know, they might just be harboring some unspoken racist sentiments. Just, yeah. just in every interaction, he seems like, uh, her father seems like he's this close to calling Victor boy. <laughs> you know, uh, it's... Uh,
2: the girls do some kind of ritual as Victor experiences some lighting issues. He sees the garbage can still outside, and he takes them in, only to not see Angela inside. He can't find her and calls Catherine's house, only to hear that they were actually going to a girl named Tashana's house, someone we never meet. They are told they were actually walking in the woods, so that's where the two sets of parents go. And I gotta say, you know, I don't have any kids myself, but this has to be the scariest part of being a parent, is if your kids are missing. Oh, yeah. This
3: is far and away the scariest part of the movie. Like, this is the only time where there's any real tension. And yeah, I knew where this was going, but this is one of those things where setting it in modern day is a problem given that everyone and their mother has a cell phone. If you set this in the 90s when people were still more, parents in particular, likely to send their kids out for the day and don't come back until the sun comes down, this might have been even scarier, but my question was like, all right, why don't they just call the girls? I mean, they might have. It's been a month since I've seen this, but...
2: Yeah, yeah they tried.
3: Oh, I got AT&T, no bars out of here.
4: <laughs> yeah, this, that's actually kind of scary. Um, about two summers ago... In fact, exactly two summers ago, there was, in fact, two two girls in my general part of town went missing, like six and five. And, um, yeah, they just wandered off. And it was this very, very tense, like it only lasted a day. But it was this very, very tense day. And I actually, my my son uh, knew the older girl as well. Oh, and, wow. you know, the, uh, the police just kind of cordoned off streets and everything. And they were trying to find where these girls had gone to. And, you know, you had it basically all of South Belfast holding their breath for this whole day and sort of just around the time the light was going they were found and they were perfectly fine they they just wandered off they'd just been playing the game and they'd wandered off and got lost and it was completely fine but it was terrifying this is a terrifying thing and this is probably the only point in the movie where it gets scary because it's actually tapping
2: into you know uh, parental fears they find a homeless nest while exploring, and they also find Catherine's backpack as Victor explores the caves and finds a snake as well as a shoe as the sound of girls laughing is played in the background. Uh, you may not know this. It's not very well known,
4: but apparently the snake is sometimes a symbol of the city.
2: Pitness with this deep <laughs> biblical lore you know yes. I feel like in a lot of ways and the three of us are gonna cover this gentleman eventually isn't David Gordon Green kind of the new Rob zombie where his movies are so polarizing and people either love him or hate him and the with what he did with the Halloween franchise I'm not gonna get my thoughts out on them yet I know we're gonna cover him eventually but Mick, is that an apt comparison
4: I'm, I'm not even sure it is I think well I think one thing they have in common is that uh, they both where their influence is very much on their sleeves. A lot of Zombies films are basically, what if Toby Hooper put everything pushed up to 11? And with David Gordon Green, I think every, you know, and we can group his films into different types, but, you know, the the ones critics like are the ones where he's trying to channel Terrence Malick. His comedies are very much in that sort of, you know, uh, I think are very much in kind of an 80s VHS sort of stoner movie vibe. And, uh, you know, and his horror films are just, oh... His horror films were in love with how edgy they think they are, but they aren't. Mm-hmm. And he's constantly genuflecting to someone else's directorial styles or inundations.
2: Yeah, that's kind of where I was going with it, too. The cops show up as Catherine's dad can't stop bragging about his daughter and is getting really impatient with the cop as they try talking out what exactly happened to the girls. The cop livens the situation by saying the good news is they left together, so chances are it is just girls being girls. Victor goes home, and we cut to each place the girls went to as Victor places missing posters on telephone poles and yeah. newscasts where the missing girls are played. Um, I like
4: I the clash here between Victor and Catherine's dad because um, Victor's using a staple gun to put the notices up properly. We see Catherine's dad with, like, the roll of sellotape. Yeah. And I just... I think I was like, That's, Yeah. They don't agree on nothing. <laughs> this is how short the difference between these two men are, you know? Um... <laughs> Also, that sellotape's no good. That's going to come off. <laughs> if it was masking tape or, you know, duct tape, that, that would be better. But, yeah, regular sellotape, that's just going to, you know, peel off of it's sunny or come off of it's raining. I, I missed this one line as well. I think it was Catherine's mum talks about them going to the woods and says something about they could only have been going there if they were going to convert with dark forces or something there's some ridiculous line to that effect that um, (laughs) that sort of killed
3: me so you're saying there's a chance
2: yeah (laughs) now mick i didn't catch it did they show where they are here is this detroit
4: no i think this is supposed to be like somewhere in the south this is you know
2: it's uh georgia i think yeah It's
4: definitely shot in Georgia. I didn't know if it was Georgia doubling for North Carolina, where like Green has sort of set and shot things before, but I'm assuming it is just
2: Georgia. I I don't remember seeing anything that was specifically um, flagging it up. Victor is then taunted about where she could be as he comes to an empty home, and my god, this has to be the loneliest, sickest feeling, just coming home and your daughter not being there. The door is open, and he walks in to his neighbors, doing some sort of ritual meant to keep Angela safe.
4: Yeah, this is the point where the movie just, I I don't know, it's
3: treatment of religion, it's Mm -hmm. just too strange and odd to me. Yeah, it's like they realized, okay, we know the first movies about a crisis of faith, but we don't know how to replicate that without just doing the same movie again. So we're going to sprinkle in religion, but don't understand how to incorporate religion whatsoever.
2: (laughs) Well, let's not forget, too, David Gordon Green also brought his buddy Danny McBride on this as well. So he is a co-writer on this, and I don't know. I'm seeing a lot of the same problems I had with that Halloween series where stuff's just not connecting, you know, and that religion is an excellent example of that. They don't know how to handle this.
4: No, they, they don't. And, you know, the extent to which Catholicism is so sort of incorporated into just sort of the fabric of the first film is great. It's not incidental. And here, all of the religious references feel kind of sort of incidental and surface level and also straight up weird. I mean, he seems he seems very blasé that this is happening Mm -hmm. in his house. You know, I would be. uh, Yes.
3: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. That it might as well have also said their house is built on an Indian burial ground. that's why shit is happening.
2: (laughs) We cut to some sort of farm as a kid finds a cow laying down and he tries finding a kid of some kind to help it. He rummages through the barn until he comes across the two girls curled up in the barn.
3: And we're never going to find out how they walked 30 miles. For a movie that spends its entire first half trying to explore the mystery of what happened, they don't give you a single goddamn answer. And get it? Disappeared for three days like Jesus. (sighs) I wanted to nail myself to a cross halfway through this movie. Victor races
2: through rain-filled traffic to greet his daughter at the hospital. She tells her dad that she thinks that she's been only been gone a few hours, and when it was actually three days. We see that the nurse who works here is actually their neighbor, and the doctors say they need to examine Angela, and we're seeing both girls being examined at the same time. So was Green going for the freaking thing of spending time at the hospital while not finding out what's going on? It's the same thing, yeah, right, Matt? Yeah, it's
3: one of those story beats that you have to do because it's a legacy sequel, but it's also trying to be a remake.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely.
4: I uh, I quite like the next couple of scenes, if only because the film is, uh, the film very temporarily, sort of almost becomes sort of like the Appalachian version of Picnic at Hanging Rock. You know, with everyone asking, <laughs> what happened to these girls? Where did the girls go? What happened? You know, I, I quite like that. But my brain's wandering. You know, my brain was wandering through this whole film. I was thinking, I was sort of imagining kind of a Southern Gothic version of Picnic at Hanging Rock and how much better that would be. <laughs> and, you know, and then I was thinking about Victor's Peacoat and how great it looked and how much I need to get a new one. <laughs> just, just, all the thoughts not pertaining to the narrative I'm supposed to be engrossed by.
2: <laughs> the doctors find that there's no signs of distress and no signs of sexual assault. And the police say that both their stories are consistent in that they got lost in the woods and eventually just cooped themselves up in the barn. Once again, Matt, not saying exactly how they ended up all that way. <sighs>
3: I I guess it's uh, Pazuzu power yeah (laughs) or is it we don't that's one of the weird things about this movie they don't say the name Pazuzu no, but they they're don't. they're so steadfast on it being the same demon. It's like when Bond was not allowed to use Blofeld, so they had to use Blofeld stand-ins, like yeah. <laughs> and Drax. That's what this feels like, where they had 90% of the right, and William Peter Blatty is the Kevin McClory where he just fucked everything up.
2: Both girls ask if they can go home, and we cut to Victor tucking Angela in. She says that she went into those woods trying to talk to her mom, and since Catherine reads the Bible and goes to church, she thought she could make a connection to her.
3: In what part of the Bible does it say you have to go in the woods and do some kind of satanic ritual?
2: (laughs) We see little hints of the actual connection that she made as she tells Victor to leave her alone. We cut to both Catherine and Angela having the same kind of visions as Catherine asks if she can sleep in her mom's bed tonight. Angela wakes up and starts flicking lights on and off, asking what Victor said before walking off. He checks the power box before electrocuting himself on it, and he serves her a breakfast containing Rocky Road, because why the hell not, as he says, though Angela is having a hard time waking up, and we see that she has wet the bed. Playing this beat again, right, boys? Yep. He leads her to the tub, and I recently took The Shining tour up at Estes Park, and this tub looks almost exactly like that one. (laughs) And knowing David Gordon Green, I don't think that's a coincidence, is it, Mick?
4: I don't know. I mean, it's uh, a... I remember in... uh, in, in my parents' house, I mean, they got rid of it, thankfully, but they also used to have a horrific kind of avocado green bathtub and bathroom that looked like mm-hmm. the one in The Shining. So I, I don't know if this is a deliberate reference or just, the last time the house was remodeled was I 1979. I don't know. Um, but I, I like the fact that we're concentrating on the important things, like the story and being gripped by it. And <laughs> <laughs> not, not being distracted by, is that bath like the bath in the shed? <laughs> Master storytelling, you know.
2: The story isn't exactly doing its job now. The water isn't exactly the cleanest either as Angela grabs a scarf and takes Victor down. She screams, Where is she? as she falls and convulses. We cut to her cursing in a hospital, much like Reagan did, right, Matt?
3: Sorry, I was having my no. own psychic visions of watching better movies.
2: And they strap her down as they take pictures of her messed up fingernails and body. Catherine, meanwhile, is in church being praised for being found. And the look she gives doesn't indicate her being happy about that fact. She's so unhappy that she leaves the church and then comes back only to loudly and repeatedly utter the phrase, the body and the blood, the body and the blood. This was in a lot of the promotional materials leading up to this because I was able to pull this clip in order to put it in the intro and outro. And I got to say, the scene didn't really do much for me.
3: This was unintentionally
4: funny
2: yeah it's
4: it's not it's not scary
2: it's also trying to be like the scene in the
4: original film where reagan comes down the stars at night and interrupts interrupts the sort of the grown-ups but katherine doesn't do anything as interesting as pee on the uh floor or telling the astronauts that they're gonna die up there uh, <laughs> there's nothing like that here
2: she should say something to the creature nope. that should be terrifying to him but she doesn't really she just seems unwell
0: uh <sighs>
2: parents are once again at it Catherine's mom says that something happened out there that made an evil spirit enter their body and they brought it back with them matt you're saying this is a country singer huh
3: yeah or mick mick are you the one who said that somebody said said that that. yeah okay yeah she's pretty good what works with the exodus is that chris tries every form of possible explanation before she turns to the church this one everyone is way too quick to assume demonic possession.
2: We cut to Angela calling the nurse sister Mary Xavier as she bleeds through her gown in some incredibly bad looking CGI blood. Oof, oh yeah.
4: Uh, did, is I, bad. I, yeah, I, Is CGI not cheaper than just getting some syrup and dyeing it red? Has that happened now? I mean, I, I, I don't yeah, it's
2: cheaper and you don't have to work with continuity either. I mean, there's a lot of positives to working with CGI blood, but you have to get it to look good, which is why when I worked on these sets, I insisted on real makeup.
3: I swear to God, like, I picture Paul Verhoeven watching this scene and convulsing on the floor. He's like, really, you couldn't use a squib or anything?
2: Angela is then taken to the psych ward, and the neighbor gives Victor a book saying there might be some answers contained within, as Victor himself denounces people for relying on religion for what's both good and bad. She then tells Victor about how she was about to become a nun before she broke her commitment and became pregnant, and Angela recited the name she was given, a name she hasn't told anyone about.
4: This bit's kind of so we're told she was, she she was about to become a nun but she was pregnant and had an abortion, and I uh, I think we all know how wild and crazy those nuns in training are. <laughs> uh, I, I, I know back in my my wild and single days it would be you know I'd hit up the bars near Convent, you know. Uh, <laughs> So, it, it, you know, her backstory is so unconvincing, right? It's just, it's like, it is. we're going to be in that, but you got pregnant somehow, um, huh? so you had to force yeah. even, even though you're sufficiently Catholic enough to be, you know, wanting to go the whole Bride of Christ route. It's so unconvincing, <laughs> but obviously it feeds into this film um, hitting the idea of women having bodily autonomy, you know, mm. and, and being very right-wing,
3: Uh and and, and Yeah. Yeah, the Amanda Kruger logic of, oh yeah, everything's great when you're a non-except, I guess you really know how to have a good time. But this movie is so desperate (laughs) to eliminate any kind of skepticism that it has to spoon-feed everything to you. How everyone is feeling, they have to Mm -hmm. visually showcase the possessed girls. There's no room for ambiguity, and it hurts the movie. Now, we are exactly halfway through
2: this movie, and at this point, I have no idea which way my review is actually going to go. It's going more to the negative side, but what about you guys? Matt, I'm kind of getting a feeling from you. Mick, are you having at least a little bit of a good time here?
4: Uh, no, actually, just as we got to the scene, first scene of the uh, psych ward, I've got a fitness uh-huh. watch, and it's the sedentary alarm went off. I looked at my watch, you know, my boss made a noise, and I looked at it and it said, You've been sitting for too long, and I was like, Yeah. Yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> you <Yeah>, know uh, <laughs> The power of Christ compels you to get up and take five steps. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, yes. um, so, yeah that, that's how I felt. At this point, I'd been sitting for too long. God, this movie just really... It, yeah,
3: anyway.
2: Victor starts reading through the book he was given, and sure enough, we are seeing some things recounted that we saw played out in the first film. And Victor starts doing some research on who wrote the book, and it is... Chris McNeil.
4: Shout out to the art department for making Chris McNeil's book look exactly the way that book would look. You know, there's an aesthetic, the kind of new age books have, yeah. and they've, they've kind of nailed it. The color choices and font, it's
2: a, uh, no no notes, that it's perfect. And this is when that electronic version of that score that Matt feared so much starts playing. Matt, I thought of you as soon as this started playing. Of course there's a new version of Two Wheeler Bells.
3: Yep, I threw my hands up and I said, God damn it, you win. (laughs) You have have shattered all my expectations of what you were going to do, and it immediately set me off, and I'm like, all right, this is the demarcation line where this movie's going to tumble even further, and sure enough, it does.
2: We see Anne talk to a priest, who we're meeting for the first time, by the way, about someone she believes is in trouble. And we cut to a beautiful beach house, guarded by a dog, and is inhabited by the one and only Chris McNeil. Ah, the return of Ellen Burstyn. Now, again, in a Fangoria interview, Green said that he worked really hard to make sure his pitch was perfect, and Burstyn was really open to returning, but as we mentioned, they... Pretty much had to offer her the moon, and she took most of the profits and put them toward the funding of an MFA scholarship for actors at Pace University, where Burston is co-president. Here she is, boys. Uh, she's here for 10 minutes, maybe. What do we feel about Ellen Burstyn in this it-
4: you know, it I can't remember who said it, but it's like that old joke, you know, about an actor promoting a movie and saying, When I saw how well written the paycheck was, I just had to do it. It's it's that <laughs> she's a um <clears throat> oh lord. She's she's a terrific actress, but you can just tell she doesn't want to be there. No. If, if we hadn't already had Blue Beetle this year and Susan Sarandon's performance in that, I would say this is the most disengaged I've seen a name actor in a movie this year. A similar, a similar energy, i like, right, I guess I'm doing this. And also, it makes no sense. Uh, it's kind of, a, I was thinking about this. So he thinks his daughter might be possessed, so he's going to talk to someone else his daughter was possessed and on, on the face of it that makes sense yes but if he's kind mm-hmm. of already come to that solution why are you talking to somebody who experienced this thing but didn't solve the problem herself it's yeah. like um, my sister's uh once lived in a house where there's a house fire and the house got gutted but if my house catches fire i'm not calling my sister you know <laughs> i'm calling you know the the local fire station <laughs> you know i'm not gonna go sis weirdest thing what would you do you know yeah.
2: uh, it, it feels like a weird mm. step such a stretch they are stretching this more than fucking taffy it is about ready to break and yeah I'm exactly with you Mick I think she's not engaged here she's here to kind of give this movie a little bit of credibility but she is kind of walking through it like Brando was in that Superman movie we talked about Matt this does not feel like Ellen Burstyn wanted to be here what do you think
3: not only is this par for the course for every legacy character where not only do we have to bring them back to their old their lives are as miserable as possible because she's estranged from her daughter because she published the book. Even though the whole point of the first movie was she wanted it to be a secret because it would ruin her career. Not only that, it is a disconnect from the rest of the movie because her scenes are played so deathly serious. And they're undercut by shitty dialogue later on. And the most infuriating line I've heard in a movie in a long time since the X women line in Dark Phoenix where I wasn't allowed in because of the patriarchy oh god even though yeah the first movie she's not allowed in because it's about her putting her faith in other people not to make a woke statement to try to earn brownie points from moviegoers go fuck yourself
2: yeah i rebelled against that line too i thought that was ridiculous i don't know what she was thinking by saying that line and it makes no sense to this character
4: well it's also a line that. Rings a little hollow if you check the credits for this movie and take a note of how many uh, women are heading departments or in leadership roles in the crew. Really? It's, it's one of these things you can say to this line in your movie, but I think if you were really sincere about overturning the patriarchy, um, <clears throat> you know, you'd have more than just your costume designer
2: being a woman, you know. Chris says that she wrote the book wanting to tell people that they can survive traumatic experiences and thrive afterwards, but her daughter Reagan never forgave her for writing it.
3: How is that thriving? Your, your life has yeah. gone to shit. Sh-
4: <sighs> I mean, do we find out why her daughter didn't like that it was written? I mean, was it the prose? Yeah, I, I don't think so. Style? Like, You know? <laughs> the like, Mom, these paragraphs are too long. You know?
2: I don't know. Like, we see a couple videos of her on YouTube going on talk shows and things at the time, which is another bad bit of CGI work, by the way. A lot of this just, it just doesn't make any fucking sense. No. You know, like, we aren't told why Reagan is rebelling against her. Hell, we were told that Linda Blair wasn't even going to be in this movie. We'll get <laughs> to that later.
0: Oh,
3: as but soon, as, as soon as I read that, I'm like, oh, she's going to be in here somehow. That is the worst <laughs> poker face you could possibly do. Yeah, yeah
2: and she was on this set, but we'll talk about that here in a bit. But I just do not understand why they had to write this in, other than the fact that they had three movies in mind, and maybe we were going to solve that by the end. But
3: the end of this movie kind of negates all of that. The only reason I can't call this the worst legacy, betrayal, and performance is because I thought Linda Hamilton was so much worse in that Terminator movie she came back for, and she's in that considerably more. At least Ellen Burstyn took the money and ran. <laughs> it's like yeah. she did the bare minimum It gets taken out of the movie Victor tells Chris
2: that he wants to help his daughter As she had helped hers Chris goes to Angela Who is exhibiting the same type of breathing That Reagan exhibited And Angela goes to the window To say she is waiting for you They go to Catherine's house And Tony starts talking about God punishing them Chris explores more Only to find Catherine running upstairs She goes to her and says that they've met before And Catherine asks if she is looking for Reagan And if she dies, all she has to do is ask. So I thought Ellen Burst was going to be here for these advisory scenes and that was it. But no, she is going with him to these girls.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Why why does she feel compelled to drive with him cross country? Um, Like, it's not like she was in the (sighs) room when the exorcism happened. Exactly. What guidance are you expecting her to give? You got what you needed. She probably could have given you references, maybe a publicist. This is so dumb. And all Pazuzu can do is be a troll he's not yeah <laughs> he's not scary he's not enhancing his legacy he's just doing the same shit he did 50 years ago which is a great summation of this movie well again it's
4: it's the whole not making sense thing it doesn't make sense for her to be present It just it, it, it yeah it, it's baffling and stupid and i guess she's just there so that they can say this is an exorcist sequel it's not like one of those yeah. horror films that has exorcism in it, but isn't an exorcist sequel. That seems to be the, the primary purpose for putting her in this film and for using tubular bells. It's, you know,
2: what is, what, what mm. branding can we insert? That's it, you know. And apparently... Talk about Linda Blair. She was a consultant on this film and she helped the girls portray being possessed. That was all she was hired for. We'll talk about what she ends up being, but let's get this out of here right now. How do we feel about the way these two girls portray their possession?
3: I I, I can't critique. And honestly, I feel bad for them because their performances Mm -hmm. are fitting for a better
0: movie.
2: And I like the fact that Linda Blair's here, you know. I think we feel that exact feeling that she had while going through this whole thing. You know, these two girls. I, I'm the same as you, Matt. I think they're doing a good job, and I think a lot of that portrays is due to how Linda Blair was the consultant here, going through this. Obviously, we don't have William Freakin' here hitting these girls and throwing okay. them around to get them to react. That traumatized Blair so much as a child, and David Gordon Green's not breaking these girls' backs or anything. But this could be a traumatic experience. Yeah, portraying creatures like this. And I think they do a good job, and I'm glad that Linda Blair was all, here to guide he, All go he ahead, did Matt.
3: was tie them down and make
2: them watch Pineapple Express.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I would say this is maybe one of the uh, areas of the film where we're seeing some of the things that got Gordon Green positive critical attention from the start. Because one of the things about, especially George Washington, was how good he seemed to be at directing kids. I remember that kind of being yeah. one of the observations when George Washington came out. That was like, you know, perhaps this director will be the greatest director of children since Truffaut. Yeah, I don't think that's true, but you know, I think he, I think he's certainly attuned enough to actors and to child actors to be able to direct them well. And I, I guess it's nice that they had somebody on set, especially looking
2: after them. And yeah, that's that's
4: good. He he seems like a mensch in that regard. So
2: yay. Matt, we talked about that when we talked about M. Night, right? I mean, he had the same bit of praise going on for him. Well, he was it, a great director it was, Well,
3: one kid. Yeah, uh, one he, kid. He's proven that's a bunch of bullshit. If you look at Last Airbender, <laughs> you look at
2: uh,
0: mm-hmm. a lot
3: of movies, you know, the kids in Signs. I would argue The Sitter, he didn't direct those kids very well. The only one, aside from George Washington, is uh, that Nick Cage movie that he did with uh, Ty Sheridan. Oh, yes.
0: And I can't so, say anti
3: Sheridan is an actor. I think he sucks, but he's actually good in that. So I'll give him props for that. But yeah, again, though, there's only so much you could do when someone tells you to be possessed. Like, it's kind of hard to come up with new material. I will say,
2: though, we've been slinging a lot of mud at this movie. No, we've been slinging
3: stones r- if you want to be biblical.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and rightly so. But when we do see these girls... Later on, when they're tied to this chair, Gordon Green does a lot of things with the camera, and we'll talk about it once we get there, but there's something very unnerving about how he is shooting these girls in circles and talking through their possessed voices to these adults that has really stuck with me and unnerved me since I saw this movie, and that is the biggest compliment I can give it. So I'm with you, Matt. I think they did a pretty good job. Chris says that she renounces the demon as Catherine convulses on the bed. And Chris says that in the name of her beloved daughter, Reagan, she commands that Catherine be released. Holy shit. Uh,
3: (laughs) Yeah. uh, This is uh, the word that came to mind was embarrassing. Yeah, I think I'm a, a, a embarrassing, cringeworthy. This felt like the opening of Scary Movie 2. <laughs> like the exorcism <laughs> and that. It's that level of just... Do you not realize how inherently stupid this dialogue is? No, it's... You know, I'm getting flashbacks
4: to, um do you remember full motion video point and click games from the,
3: uh, 90s? <laughs> the, the Titanic one, yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did get, you know, the way they'd have an actor, you know, some, somebody famous enough to seem like a get, but not Harrison Ford level, it, you know, expensive, <laughs> yes. Like Tim Curry <laughs> or, you know, um, Christopher Lloyd, oh, someone don't, like that, don't, that,
3: yes. Don't, don't Tim Curry. Yeah. <laughs> well I have any Tim Curry slander on these airwaves?
4: It felt like that, just, you know, you'd have these, you'd have these scenes that were being written and directed <laughs> by people who weren't really filmmakers or scriptwriters but they'd have, like, a name actor right in the middle of them. It just it felt like that. It was like,
2: wh- what?
0: You know,
4: it's oh Ellen and Why is she saying these terrible, terrible lines? Yeah.
2: Yeah, this felt like it belonged to Repossess, right, Matt? <laughs> well,
3: Repossess was funnier than this movie. <laughs>
2: that's true. Catherine says that she is no devil as she takes out Chris's eyes and the door closes.
3: I mean, that's yeah. kind of what I wanted to do at this point, too. <laughs> He's talking for the audience. Yeah, this is great. Uh, g- very self-reflective. And apparently this gives her, like, psychic powers. Oh, my God. We'll get there.
4: I this fucking
3: movie so much. It
2: is so bad. Uh, we're seeing this Father Maddox character, because we have to have a priest here, too, trying to get permission for an exorcism and is being told how dangerous it is to do so. He pleads, and we have to assume it's granted as we cut away from the scene. So we have to enter this storyline as well. Chris tells Victor that hope is what keeps her alive and that what happened in there was not his fault. And what happens in all exorcisms is they all have one thing in common, and that is people. She may not be able to bring Reagan back, but he needs to bring everyone together to make all of this work.
3: Oh, this this is, oh my God. This has all the the sentimentality of a Hallmark movie. Yes. This shit turns into Captain Planet, where we have to get all the different races together and all the different religions. It's it's the goddamn Avengers of religion. Yeah, Care Bears, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure one of their markings on their legs is, like, you know, Sunshine Bear.
2: Victor then meets up with the woman who came to the house to do the blessing, who says that she learned sometimes to go forward, you need to go back.
3: Yes. Somebody needs to go tra- back to the pitch meeting and say, heart pass. <laughs> yes. No, we're not paying $400 million for that.
2: It's a ridiculous thing that doesn't mean anything. Mm. You know, really? (laughs) That's that's not wisdom. She makes an eternal space in the house, and she needs to break through the watery realm of the two dimensions to break through.
3: Yeah, so apparently now, like, hell is this gelatin-based, blue-tinted swimming pool? Yeah. Like, at least make hell look interesting if you're going to depict it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they can't even do
0: that,
4: it's, and also they've got more money than you know. Um, you know, if you see things like Lucio Fulci's *Of the Beyond*, mm-hmm. you know, where uh, you know, cast draft Italian horror filmmakers of the early '80s trying to create hell uh, and at least come up with something that's visually interesting.
2: They all set up the room, and Tony ensures Miranda that it's going to work. So they're building their ritual. The priest tells Anne that the board has determined an exorcism isn't on the table, and instead they should consider psychic intervention.
3: Yeah, it's not on the table, which is why they use chairs instead. All we <laughs> need is ladders and we can have a rough. week. Yeah,
4: <laughs> we have uh, a whole board game here. Here's the thing I don't understand as well. It's kind of, you know the way in the original film they like record, Reagan speaking? I, I don't understand why, the, uh, why Maddox's meeting with the bishops isn't him showing them footage from his phone you know <laughs> as, as you completely see these children are demonically possessed and we should you know get the diastasis and exorcist on this pronto wow. <laughs> and, and then it should immediately cut to them just rubber stamping you know <laughs> Uh, then a commando-scout montage of some professional dancers and Exodus getting his crosses and his you know, Book of Roman Rituals and you know locking and loading. Uh, that should happen, but it doesn't. They just kind of go, no, we despite being a room full of Catholic bishops, don't believe in demonic possession. Oh, a, really? Uh, yeah. Honestly.
2: it's, just, it's
3: uh. Well, the Catholic Church yeah. doesn't like facts, even when you put them directly in front. And they certainly don't like video evidence. So
2: Father Maddox gives Anne the Bible and tells her to cast out the Oh, no, 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 he's given her
3: the Book of Roman Rituals.
2: He's given her the... Oh, is that what that yeah, is? Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. It's a whole separate thing. Oh, it's, okay. the, it's
2: a book that has kind of the, uh, the thing you're
4: supposed to read the last rites from. And, uh, yeah, it's a very book of hacks for priests.
3: Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, it's <laughs> basically all, like, everything that a priest does, like baptism, confession, matrimony, it's all in the, the Roman ritual. Everyone, the gay man on this podcast knows his cat. About-
2: he sure does. <laughs> More infighting is happening as Anne intervenes and says they need to band together, and she will give it everything she's got to help those girls. Oh, my
0: God.
3: Like
4: Because God, yeah. God wants her in that place.
3: Yeah. yeah God, right? God, because God's going to give you a free pass for just openly spitting in his face after you made a sacred vow. Yeah.
4: Exactly. No. I, oh, I... <laughs> You, you know, it's the way she just gets to to cooperate immediately. I, I was raised Catholic, but I, I grew up in the, um, what is the ecclesiastical capital of all Ireland? So all of the churches were represented where I grew up. And yeah, the idea that all these denominations will get on immediately is just silly. There are... You know, there's schisms within Presbyterianism. You know? <laughs> and, uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, arguing over just how severe and joyless they should
3: be. So, um, you know? <laughs> it <got laughs> oh, God, it's funny that you mentioned Shmuel and Garrett because this reminds me of the ending of Signs with "swing away, swing uh, away. Like, This yeah. is basically just "have faith." That's the message.
2: They all go inside as we hear that the smell has gotten worse and that their hearts are beating in sync. We hear oh. that their vibrations are strong, and they put on a protection
3: spell. Yeah, they're they're in sync because I wanted to go bye 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 to this movie.
2: Anne starts the exorcism as the demons smile, and Anne gets a face full of pea soup. Yeah, we get we check that yeah, off. The I, I pulled
3: out my notebook and crossed
2: that off, and I'm like, all right, yep. I think they covered everything. Oh, oh we'll, we'll get know. something else here in a yeah. bit. <laughs> See,
4: at, at the exact moment the pea soup moment happened, yeah, I was sitting mm-hmm. there, and you know, the thought that went through my head was, is Chris McNeil still an actress? I mean, is her, yeah, no, I'm thinking about because I'm going, like, is her ocular injury, yes? Is she still acting, because then she still have SAG healthcare? Yeah? Like, has, has she earned more than $26,000 in the last year? That, that's what I'm thinking about, because I don't care. I'm like, I, I still don't care now. I'm thinking about the logistics of of a, a supporting character, you know, uh, yeah, medical bills. yeah. Oh.
2: Uh. Yeah, peace. Too. <laughs> You're thinking of everything except this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
4: playing all the
3: hits. I'm, I'm so unsurprised. You
2: know. Oh, that's fantastic.
3: I was sitting there going, "Who tiled that ceiling?" Because everything's so out of place. It's <laughs> not even the same base of color or texture. Just, yeah. Oh God, clearly they were not. The the devil was not in the details with this movie. No. Like Get, this movie's all broad strokes. Pastor then gets in the act,
2: and the demons don't budge, and even ask if the power of Christ compels them. Check.
3: And this isn't even the last one. There's one that happens. Like, no, no. Oh, God, like, no. Like, this, no, seat, this a- sequence, The Exorcism, it's like they watched the original movie, and they're like, all right, every single beat that we missed, we have to put in this 10-minute yeah. sequence. And it's so, like, cliché, they might as well have a fucking Rocky montage of the priest preparing. We had that last film, remember? Yeah, that's true. I mean, they gave him a fucking Captain America <laughs> entrance. Which yeah. Which <laughs> made me laugh harder than anything could be possessed.
2: Angela looks at Victor and says, you don't believe, as she laughs, and the house is shaking. More rituals happen as something is suspensed from Catherine's mouth. The CGI bug? Really? We're going to pull this yeah, I'm out? Yeah, like,
3: dogs and lambs was 30 years ago, people.
2: Yeah. And they start shaking again, and flammable vapor emits from Angela's mouth.
3: Good thing nobody was vaping. Uh,
4: <laughs>
2: I, I feel like there
4: should be some kind of moral panic about teens and flammable vapor coming from their mods. It should be on the news, and, and the news should think that it has some kind of name that the kids all call it, which they really don't, but the parents should be concerned. I, I just,
3: yeah.
2: Victor dumps the water that came from the vapor as we see burning crosses, and when he gets back to the room, Angela tells him that he never wanted her, and we're seeing flashbacks to when he made the decision to save his wife, and the baby lived instead.
3: I could not believe they made this a reveal. Yeah. Way to throw your main your main lead under the bus... <laughs> right it's like, like it's once again it's so like this movie is so anti-abortion it might as well be sponsored by fox news right. and this whole thing is about testing him if he the whole moral is like god is punishing you because you didn't follow his plan it's that same like signs mel gibson's character his <laughs> wife is killed because he left the faith so
2: the demon decides i'm ready for this boys they all need to make another choice one girl lives one girl dies
3: yeah, I half expected expect yeah. the TV to come on and fucking jigsaw saying I want to play a game.
2: It's funny you mention that, Matt, because that's my next note. I can't believe they did a Saw thing here where they're making them choose. Um, it's not just a Saw
4: thing. It's kind of like a hackneyed Prisoner's Dilemma thing. Yeah. And, oh, God. You know, this is exactly the point where the movie. Um, oh, I, I, I think Blatty's writing has this very sophisticated weaving of the theology into the narrative without it feeling as if he's actually proselytizing. Which is good, but with this, this is basically a Jack Chick comic. I mean, this is this is it, right? This is the uh, yeah. Well, yeah. if you if you are unfaithful, God will smite you immediately, or you will face eternal damnation for some arbitrary reason, and it will be it will happen instantaneously. It's it's that. <sighs>
2: The girls then both say in their normal voices, choose me. And then they're pleading with them in normal and demonic voices. And Victor and Miranda say they won't choose. This is when Father Maddox emerges. Because oh, that that was the weirdest reveal oh, too. They, they because should have
3: had the fucking John Williams Superman theme play.
2: Right, I was thinking the same thing. So oh, they're funny. having this dilemma. Okay, who do we choose? Who do we choose? And then like this heroic theme comes on, and here comes the priest I, it, saying his ritual. I was like,
3: I could not believe well, this. It, it's a good thing we're reviewing pro wrestling now because this is like when the when the babyface runs in to make the save, and much <laughs> like that, much like wrestling, there's a fucking swerve that the devil pulls at the end. A uh, twist, shall we say.
4: The whole bit where he comes in, all I could think was just, you know, Harrison Ford saying, okay, kid, let's blow this thing and get home. You know, <laughs> or whatever the line is in Star Wars. It's, it's that. It's, it's, the character we thought wasn't going to turn up to help has suddenly turned up to help because we have that troop card and we, we, we needed to sort of, you know, get it out of the deck and play it. Uh, also, <laughs> is is it just me? Something about his serodium just makes him impossible to treat seriously? Do you know? What I mean? It just, it just doesn't feel like a real name. It feels so made up. Don't, yeah. I don't know why, but there is something just kind of. Uh, I am sure there have been priests without surname, but for some reason, within the context of that movie, this movie, I don't buy it at all. I think it's maybe he doesn't have a first name.
2: Yeah. Uh. So Father Maddox starts the exorcism. The girls are suffering, and I've been sitting here waiting for a head twist this entire movie, and here we get it as it happens to this poor priest. My God. No stone unturned. This is also when the theme shows up again. Yeah. The tubular bells. Yeah. As Victor pleads with Angela to get through it, Catherine asks, what about her? And Tony yells that he chooses Catherine. As Angela launches Victor through the air, and then she levitates. Speaking of the air, this is when Chris is reaching in the air. Why? What is she doing? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I I'm trying to... <laughs> I'm trying my best to Look, just not say, okay, Gordon Green, you have a little bit of talent in you, you. There's a few bits of tension here, but when I'm seeing poor Ellen Burson reach out in the air with her eyes covered, I'm like, what are you doing
3: with this character?
2: Yeah. She's got,
3: uh, like this shit is a freaking pure flicks. Oh yeah.
4: God. Yeah. It's, it's that it's a, um, did you see the, uh, you probably didn't, but there's a, um, the film, the heaven is real. I did. See, I reviewed that. I had a written review of that movie. All fucking things, right? And and I feel the same way here. I feel about Margot Martindale in that movie, where it's like, can we just live in a world where our really really great uh, actors don't have to be in you know in films this bad with such clumsy takes on theology, and uh, which just mm-hmm. feel like they're um, not telling proper stories, but are in fact just straight up pushing a particular line,
2: you know. <sighs> More green vomit is spewed in the air and Angela falls. Catherine seems to be okay, but we are seeing her metaphorically get sucked down the well. And here is when another big twist is revealed. It wasn't the exorcism that saved Angela. It was the spell performed at the very beginning of the film. Angela wakes up and Catherine falls.
3: Oh, I'm sure the second movie is going to be they open a portal yeah. to hell to go rescue her. <sighs> I guarantee you that's what they're thinking.
4: Yeah, I bet their plan sequel is basically going to be like uncommon valor, but with hell. <laughs> so actually, I've just that uh, actually sounds like an awesome movie. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> it does sound pretty good. Cool. I, I, actually, I would pay to see a movie that was uncommon valor, but with <laughs> hell.
3: Um nah, they're just going to no, p- remake Ghosts of Mars. <laughs> oh
4: God! Yeah, no, this is just this is just absurd. I'm just kind of
3: yeah um
4: i'm trying not to laugh out loud at this point like if if the cinema had been entirely empty i would have i just i thought the people next to me were mildly invested in in the narrative so i didn't want to ruin it for them but yeah this is just silly
2: yeah that's a great way of putting it we see remnants of what happened as angela's vitals are all checked we cut to Anne saying that evil is the devil making us give up all our hope we see Angela in school, as Tony and Miranda try recovering f- from what happened, <laughs> and Victor visits his wife's grave. Who's laughing? Yeah, is that you, no, Mick?
4: Mick, the whole, You know, it's because Anne's speech is like, oh, people get over this, and, you know, the, you know they'll come to pieces of this. <laughs> and it's like, I don't think Tony and Miranda will. It's going to be like, marriages can overcome difficulties, yes, but mm-hmm. I don't think you got our daughter dragged down to hell because you decided that... <laughs> Someone else's child should die in her stead. You know, I, I don't think there's any coming back from that. I don't think. I don't this is a thing you can resolve by, like, having a cup of coffee down at the diner. <laughs>
3: which is how they're framing it yeah. Well, right. yeah, this is not something you resolve at your counselor. Yes. Also, yeah. their preacher was there. He saw it,
4: right?
0: <laughs> yeah
4: this is going to be really <laughs> awkward at like the church's next Pancake Social or whatever it is they do <laughs> you know it's like oh yeah Tony yeah uh, he's, gonna be, he's forever going to be the guy who thought like you know you could make a compact with a, da- a demon you know just really uh, he's got to leave town surely you know God um, oh, just it's just it's just so stupid also Ant's I- whole speech is ridiculous you know the whole it's as well, like, community's more important than, fitness community's the main thing, and, like, no, no. Communities can also themselves be terrible and evil. Neo-Nazis form communities. <laughs> you know, um, terrible people who wish us harm form communities, and, you know, <laughs> and they have a camaraderie, you know, with each other. It's a, it's an it's an absurd position, and, um, like, you know, in the original film, you know, talking about the power of C.D.S., and at least at least that makes some kind of sense. At
2: least that's not at least that's not as idiotic as this movie is. Oh boy, I had M- Matt. I don't remember the last time we've had Mick this fired up. <laughs> about it's, a just, movie. It's, it's, it's you know it's it's the ever thing. It's the callously using the sort of a Haitian
4: earthquake as uh, it's you know mm-hmm. that's just a little bit of backstory, then also evoking the terrible thing Pat Robertson said about it but not critiquing yeah and then yeah just see everything else also so many talented folk here seem to just be kind of phoning it in um like the score i don't know i like a lot of david wingo's scores yes but this one just i don't know if you'd seen the film take shelter
2: yes but it seemed to be recycling a lot of that movie's score interesting i thought the score was okay i I thought it had moments
4: yeah I, i don't know um I think I suppose it's, you know, when something's bad, we try and uh, pick at every single element to see if that's the thing that's making it taste terrible. Mm. But it could just be everything <laughs> yeah. that's in the soup, not one particular item, you know.
2: Matt? Yeah, I just wanted the movie to be over. We're almost there.
3: Oh, no, so... they have one last middle finger to
2: give <laughs> yeah. you yep. We see Catherine's empty desk. And then, something that was actually spoiled for me, we see Reagan reuniting with her mom. So we figure, you know what? We have Linda Blair on set. Can we convince her to come on? Because she was in a lot of interviews saying, I'm not going to be in that movie at all. They have asked. I am saying no. Another one. Here she is. Mick, what do you feel about seeing, seeing this scene after they had built it up earlier in the film? Oh,
4: God. You know, it. it, doesn't, it there's,
2: there's no emotional catharsis here. It's a sort of entirely expected, you know, cheap
4: legacy sequel thing to do. Uh, and seeing them both briefly... Uh, play a scene together again it's like exorcist dinner theater you know it, it's you do know that thing with like a. uh you remember those people in that role from decades ago well now they're playing it again and you can see them live in your town but they're older now and they're tired and wish they didn't have to do it it's that uh i hope One they for a lot you yeah know? i i hope this is a large paycheck
3: Uh, It's a good thing we're talking about a Catholic movie because I wanted to just yell shame as this happened because it was so... It was like the last gasp before my soul left my body because I'm like, all right, you have every piece of low-hanging fruit you picked up off the ground and took a massive bite out of. Every fucking nugget of shit they pulled to make you be like, hey, remember the original movie? I'm like, yes, I remember it, but that doesn't make it good, and there's no context for their reconnection.
2: All right. And that's when we get credits for The Exorcist Believer, one of our most entertaining reviews we've ever done. I
0: got to yeah, say. Yeah,
3: and I thought for the, the movie was going to end with Angela's eyes flashing yellow, and she'd still be possessed to leap. Oh, jeez. Oh. I was oh. like, I was waiting for it, and it doesn't happen. I'm like, well, at least that's one thing that didn't happen. I'm kind of glad it didn't. But I thought that's what they were going to. Bitch, Oof,
4: that, would no. you know, <laughs> that would have been better,
3: you know. That would have been if it's just gone full of schlock, but knowingly. Or you have Pazuzu jump in the classroom, or push Leslie Odom Jr. through a door like Freddy Krueger at the end of Nightmare on Elm Street. Just something dumb. The teacher's doing the roll call, you know. Yeah, and then you know.
4: All right. Yeah. Then, yeah. then we notice there's a new student called Gregory Pazuzu or something. You know. Uh, I
2: have no idea. Or,
3: or John, John Borman. Oh God!
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys. Scale of one to ten. What do we give the Exorcist believer, Mick? Unleash, sir. Yeah, it's it's getting nothing. It's <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it, it's getting. You're giving it a zero. Giving You're it giving
4: it zero. exactly what I gave New Mutants. Yeah, I'm I'm giving it a zero. It's a um, <clears throat> wow. It's just you know. Here's the thing. Gordon Green has made comedies, so he should be aware that this film's kind of a. Big idea, which is, you know, uh, multi denominational interfaith people, uh, in exorcism, yes. You should know that that's A being played for last at the end of Repossessed. And it's also kind of the entire premise of, I don't know if you saw it, but there's this, um, horror comedy from, I think, about 10 years ago now called Hellbanders. Oh, yeah, I remember that Mike. Yeah, with Clancy Brown and, uh, uh huh. Yeah, and that's it. That's it. It's the team of elite sort of uh, demon fighters that they're from. You know, there's a Lutheran, there's a Catholic, there's a Pentecostal, they're, they're all there, uh, and that's kind of the joke. Um, so the idea that he would play this completely straight without realizing that it's, A, absurd, and B, being mined for comedy already is, is the thing that pushed me to giving this a zero? Because otherwise it was going to be a one. But it's, it's it's a zero, so, you know. Uh, Worst Exorcist sequel!
2: worse than two yeah
4: yeah considerably worse
2: than yeah two. It's, it's one worse huh you at least gave two of one yeah yeah <laughs> for the logo yeah
4: for the <laughs> yeah that's right this, this this doesn't even have any good logo food going on and oh all
2: right nick's giving his score matt what
3: about you uh, well i'm not going that low but please don't take my considerably higher score as a ringing endorsement of this movie because it's not even with my expectations being what they were which is to say virtually non-existent. This was so much worse that I could have possibly fathomed, and in my head it was kind of the worst-case scenario for what this movie could have been. Uninspired, rehash, embarrassing implications about trying to make a message, and it comes off as tremendously misguided, poorly mismanaging your legacy actor. And the only reason this is not the worst Exorcist sequel is because the heretic exists. I can't call it worse than that. But I do think this is the... If you remove that, this is the worst one by far. With the prequels, at least you could say they were two different attempts to tell the same story, and there were some either interesting ideas or some cool visual stuff in the case of Harlan's movie. There's none of that here. There's nothing in here I can endorse. And I'll give my thoughts on his Halloween movies. None of them are as bad as this. This, to me, reeks of a studio overpaying for an intellectual property and just shitting out a movie because they have it, it's theirs and they want to flaunt it in your face but this movie is like saran wrap you can see right through it and it's a waste of time so I'm giving this a 2 on 10 this was awful
2: a huge improvement from Matt, a 2 we've had a 0 and a 2 wow, God, can the Children of the Corn movies get this bad? there are many reasons to wish William Freakin was still around A big one for me is I wish he could have seen this movie and I wish we could have gotten a conversation between him and Nicholas Winding-Wefren about how much he hates it because this did not do his legacy any bit of good. But I'm going to be more complimentary than you two. I think there are some performances here, as I've outlined, that are pretty decent. I think what the girls do is kind of unnerving at times, as I mentioned, and I think there are some decent moments of tension. But honestly, this is bad. Matt, God, you took my words out of my review, because I had the exact same thing written down. This is a case of overpaying for a property and not knowing what to do, and all you're seeing is the bottom line. They completely missed the boat on a property that honestly should have been left alone back in 1973, if we want to be honest. Yes, 1990 has its lovers, including two people in this podcast, but I am here to say that that movie should have just lived and died on its own. This is David Gordon Green trying to revive it. They say they're going to do a second and third. They say it's still in the books. We'll talk about that when I finish up here. But I am going to go three just for the performances and some decent moments of tension. But honestly, this is way bad. And you got to just stay the fuck away. If you have any love for that first movie, I would say just stay away. We're
3: also not batting well with these new releases. No. Uh, this year, we've had this. We've had Indiana Jones. We've had The Flash. Yes. Fast X. And the only yeah. reason this isn't the worst new release is because I saw Knock at the Cabin this year. So, yeah, this
2: is a three-on-ten for me. It's just not very good. That being said, we have finished with this retrospective, at least for now. What do we rate these? Matt, do you have a list all set
3: of how you rank these movies? I do. So, should I start from the top and work my way down? or Yeah. All right. Yeah, start so, from the top. So, number that. one, Exorcist Three. Number wow. two, the original. And then there's a huge, huge decline. And I said to myself, okay, which one of these do I go with next? I'm going to go with Dominion 3rd, a distant 3rd, mind you. Like, it's such a distant 3rd that if this was a relay race, it would have broken its leg and just not been able to finish, but at least you give it the medal of at least you tried. Continue on the decline, you have Exorcist at the beginning. Decline even further, and you have Exorcist, Believer. And then at the bottom of the ocean... Might be in its own section of hell, is The Heretic. Yeah, two great movies, and then nothing else I could recommend. So this franchise, to me, doesn't have a great batting record. All
2: right, I'll go ahead and go. I'm going to flip Matt's 1 and 2. I gave The First Exorcist a 10 and that is still to this day in my top 10 of favorite films of all time. I just think that is just a brilliantly put together film in every which way. Uh, number two, I will go with Exorcist 3 as well, although I wasn't as high on it as Matt was. I did give it a seven i believe there's some great things in that movie i do think it suffers from i think it's a little ponderous at times but i think it is a very good tension piece and the music and everything really really sets a great mood that i did not even see when i originally saw it back in 1990 and you are right massive decline but i want to switch both dominion and The Beginning. Both not very good films, but I thought The Beginning had more things to kind of scare you with. More jump scares, and I think Rennie Harlan is one of those guys who, we mentioned it, he makes some pretty bad movies, but that Exorcist was him trying to kind of slow it down a bit, and then he kind of gets in his own way, but still, I would hold that over Dominion, which I just found to be a ponderous movie that I could barely get through. Then it's this one, and uh, way, way, way on the bottom, as Matt said, Exorcist 2, a movie I will never again i don't even think for comedic purposes you could sit through that two-hour mess seeing Dane joel jones roar like a leopard is not worse sitting through that entire film watch that clip on youtube it's the only thing really worth <laughs> seeking out with that movie and so yeah exorcist 2 very bottom all right mick do you have your list okay i'm gonna go join first exorcist and exorcist 3 so uh I, so they're tied for first
4: tied for first uh wow. third place is dominion uh, and again uh you know, it's uh, it's much less effective than uh, those two movies. But, you know, it, it is third. Fourth is the beginning. Fifth is, is going to have to be Exorcist to the Heretic, um, which I didn't think was going to happen. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> because that's, that, that's a movie I don't like. But uh, this, I think, Exorcist Believer, just by virtue of having such strange... Um, such strange... Um, and I think a very noticeable anti-abortion sort of message, I think that that's what tips it over for me. I, I just despise this movie's messaging. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
2: Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a sad end to this retrospective, which I was really looking forward to doing. And I think we did do a very good yeah. set of shows. Honestly, I think these shows have been great. And Mick, my friend, I mean, this guy... <laughs> He, he takes naps at night in order to do these shows and we wake him up in the middle of the night for him to jump on these calls and my friend, you have been nothing short of remarkable on all of these shows. I want to thank you, sir. It's been a joy going through these with you. Yes, thank you kindly. It
4: has been, it has been fun, you know. Uh,
2: it has been fun. Yes. Hopefully, though, you know, we don't have to look at any more of these. That's going to be my next question. Matt, they have grossed over $100, $100 million. Do you think there's any way... We get another one. They're saying there will be, although what they're saying is it might go straight to streaming.
3: Based on that logic, I would be led to believe that there is a second movie, but only as a streaming release. I just don't think the reception in either front justifies another movie. Like, this is the problem when you say, oh, this is a trilogy, when we know you're full of shit. Because so many friends, like Terminator, failed at this three times. What makes you think you're going to be able to do it? So, no, I if it's going to happen, it's streaming, but that's the only instance. Like if Netflix picks it up.
2: And one more order of business. Matt, this new release didn't go very well. Hopefully next week's will. Why don't you reveal what next week's review is going to be?
3: Oh, it's been the movie that we're told is going to save cinema. And speaking of bringing people back, you know, we, we had to get Mr. Jeopardy himself to close out a retrospective we did last year, uh, because there's a new Scorsese movie out, and we said his name three times, so Ganeri texted us saying, hey, are we doing Killers of the Flower Moon? And I told Garrett, I said, yes, if it comes out, because I didn't think it was actually happening, because all we have is that one production still for the longest of time. The show is almost as long as the movie, so I'll put that out. Um, but I think it's, it's going to make for a very candid discussion about the movie itself.
2: Very much so. And uh, Mick, you're not off the table yet, sir. We're, we're bringing you back. We have a couple things in mind for you next year. Um, and as I mentioned, Rob Zombie is going to be on the table. And you might be coming back for Halloween. Again, always a joy having you, sir. Thank you very much for joining us and making time out of your schedule to come on with us. Because like I said, it, it seems like to be kind of a pain for you. <laughs> like you say, okay, I'm going to take a nap. Wake me up in an hour. Yeah, uh, And hip uh, work. pretty shift work (laughs) pretty amazing sir i want to thank you and until next week when we bring back Canary to do martin scorsese's killers of the flower moon body in the podcast body in the podcast body in the podcast body in the podcast body in the podcast
0: what harm could there be in his being baptized a great deal those people hate and fear checha. Do you won't expose him to further danger by having him join a religion they equate with evil? I'll say it. I'll say it, Mariner, can't you? The work of Satan. It's the work of man! Why can't you accept that? Because my only concern is the eternal soul of that young man.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of The Three Men in a Retrospective Podcast.
0: You really don't want me to play, huh? No, I do. Captain Howdy said no.
1: Join us next week for an entirely new review. And if you would be so kind, please take a moment and give us a positive review and rating on your podcast platform of choice.
0: The soul mine!
1: It truly helps others find and discover our podcasts.
0: I like plays. The good ones. Shakespeare. I like Titus Andronicus the best. It's sweet.
1: And if you like this review, please head over to percolatedmedia.net or search your podcast streamer of choice, where we have individual reviews such as Knock at the Cabin, The Black Phone, Megan, as well as additional blockbuster franchises like Avatar, Pirates of the Caribbean series, Stephen King's ongoing collection, and many more.
0: He has work to do much more. The Three Men in
1: a Retrospective Podcast is produced by Garrett, Matt, Adam, and Nathan. Did you know that you are talking to an artist? Edited by Garrett.
3: Once the wings have brushed you, you're mine forever.
1: Voiceovers by Adam.
0: Look, your daughter doesn't say she's a demon. She says she's the devil himself.
1: The Three Men in a Retrospective Podcast is for review and discussion. And all clips, music, and audio cues are used as such.
2: Mick, was it you who said last week that David Gordon Green has now made more horror films than John Landis? Yes! Which, oh, that is such a depressing story.
3: Yeah, and he, well, he's killed less people. <laughs> oh, jeez.
4: Yeah. Um, oh. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead. No, I'm... I'm oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, All um, right. That's the and, Let's and, the old yeah, movie. no, I... I, I the power of Christ, Christ compels you!
2: she's called down to breakfast with pancakes that look freaking delicious by the way got great food porn here it's, a,
4: it's, it's very much a movie breakfast yeah. it is yes. yeah this is the
3: peewee's big adventure
4: <laughs> yeah completely it's like this isn't how breakfast works with kids it's like you know <laughs> there's some cereal there do
3: you want it <laughs> no one's, yeah i just it's, yeah it's, nobody it's, nobody leaves out a bowl of cereal anymore if you're gonna have cereal you take it out yourself
2: My favorite thing about reviewing films with Mick is every time he goes, they don't do blank anymore. That's not how this works.
0: (laughs) It's my favorite. So
2: what do you guys think about...
0: The power of Christ compels you!
2: So we get a game of hide-and-seek, and and the um, the dad finds... And I'll say his name in a bit, but... Oh, Victor. Uh, Victor.
0: The power of Christ compels you!
2: And Angela recited the name she was given, a name she hasn't told anyone about. So she's like Obi Wan yeah. Kenobi. Like, movie, she has this other name. Is
3: go, go ahead, Mick.
2: Go ahead. Okay,
0: this- the power of Christ compels you!
2: And Victor starts doing some research on who wrote the book, and it is Chris McNeil. And, and this is when that electronic version of that. Oh, go- I'm sorry, Mick. Mick, go ahead. You're going to say something. Yeah. Shout out to the art department
4: for making Chris McNeil.
0: The power of Christ compels you!
4: God, this movie just really, it, yeah.
0: Anyway.
2: Uh, hold on, my cat's pulling on my mic cord here. Okay, I'm going to ask for a wireless
3: mic for Christmas. Um, <laughs> Victor starts... The
0: power of Christ compels you!
3: <laughs> I'm sure one of their markings on their legs is like, you know, sunshine bear. Mickey, you're going to say something. Go ahead. No, it's just... it's, it's Oh.
4: <laughs> it's, 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 <laughs> All I, right. I just want to
2: sigh wearily. Uh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. victor then meets up with the woman who came to the house to do the blessing
0: the power of christ compels you
2: it's a ridiculous thing that doesn't mean anything mm. you know really <laughs> that's, that's not wisdom victor then meets up with the woman who oh i already said that hold on <laughs> i'm losing track as we keep we keep uh, stopping here
0: the power, the power of christ compels you
2: The whole beat where he comes in, all I could think was
4: just, you know, Harrison Ford saying, okay, kid, let's blow this thing and get home, you know, or whatever the line is in Star Wars. It's that. The character we thought wasn't going to turn up to help has suddenly turned up to help because we have that troop card and we we needed to sort of, you know, get it out of the deck and play it. Uh. I can't believe you did a
2: Harrison Ford impression.
3: (laughs) I mean like, <laughs> oh, if he was, oh, oh. like it would be shortened to if he was watching the movie just going this movie blows <laughs> yeah uh, also <laughs> oh, 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 is, is it just me <laughs>